you're a student, you have already been dismissed, so that's good. <laughs> good. Good morning. Welcome. I greet you in the name of my precious Savior. Uh, Christopher, thank y'all. That was, as always, that was just great. fabulous. Hello. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Yeah. You want to start us off? I, I believe I will. I'll so. tell you what, let me, before you do that, let me pray. Great. How about that? Y'all pray with me. Lord God, we want to thank you this morning that we can gather together. And uh, we long to experience you this morning in a fresh way. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, however that works, that's all beyond our pay grade. So we just declare what we believe to be true, and that is that you are... God, the very God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, the one that created us, and knows us, and is at work in our lives and committed to our good. We want you to impact us with fresh grace this morning. We are empty, we're beat up, we're wounded, we're dry. Lord, would you be to us and for us all that we need. And uh, we sure would be grateful if you would. And I ask you to speak to people now from your word. Let it go forth in truth, in power. Let it go deep in our hearts. Take root and produce a real and lasting harvest of righteousness. That's not beyond your ability. And so we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll open this morning with a poem from Mary Oliver. You may have heard of that poet, Mary Oliver. Um, and it is about the donkey on the Sunday before um, Resurrection Sunday. It's entitled, The Poet Thinks About the Donkey. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, the donkey waited. Not especially brave or filled with understanding, he stood and waited. How horses turned out into the meadow leap with delight. How doves released from their cages clatter away, splashed with sunlight. But the donkey, tied to a tree as usual, waited. Then he let himself be led away. Then he let the stranger mount. Never before had he seen such crowds. And I wonder if he had all imagined what was about to happen. Still... He was what he had always been, small, dark, obedient. I hope finally he felt brave. I hope finally he loved the man who rode so lightly upon him as he lifted one dusty hoof and stepped as he had to forward. Just the thought of the, all the humility that of man and beast and earth that, that preceded Friday, Crucifixion Day, and then, and then Sunday, Resurrection Day. As I found this poem and remembered, I, I was enamored of the fact that Jesus' fairy mother rode a donkey in and to her place, and he's riding a donkey into his. It's, wouldn't it be magnificent if the first donkey had been the mother of the second. Hmm. Who knows? And of all the things that were going on in the world that day, wonder where on the list of important things that donkey would have been. Um, wars, floods, famines, big decisions being made in Rome and in Jerusalem. Um, but of all the things going on that day, there was nothing that mattered except that donkey being willing uh, to let Jesus ride uh, into Jerusalem on. That's what, that which was unbelievably unimportant and un, I don't know the right word, unnoticeable was the thing that mattered. And I wonder if there's not some wisdom for us on that. The things that don't 
aren't noticed as important might be the most important things going on in our lives right now. Thank you. Look at you. You're moved by poetry after all. No, I didn't say that. I think I he did. He always won't read me a poem. So. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, before I forget it, um, back in the back, there on Sunday mornings, there's always some little bags full of goodies. And they're back there for you to get one and put it in your car. And when you go up to intersections and you see somebody... Uh, uh, in need, you can give them something that would really, hopefully, be a blessing to them. Um, and if nothing else, just a reminder that they matter and that they're loved. And so, if you ever would like to go back and get one and use it, uh, I think that'd be a good, a good thing. Last week, we started a little study on the idea of blessing in the Bible. Um, and we're going to continue that today. And one of the things that I mentioned was that uh, it doesn't, it's not lost on me that the Lord Jesus, the very first thing that Jesus taught, the very first thing when Jesus said, I'm going to teach my very first sermon or message or lesson, the very first thing he taught once he was a, uh, declared uh, the, the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, uh, he uttered nine blessings. And you, you're familiar with those. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that... Uh, uh, on and on and on. Um, what's unusual about those nine blessings for me blessed are those that are uh, slandered blessed are those that are persecuted i wonder if any of us would say i'd like that blessing and yet jesus said they were blessings and uh, i just made me ask myself the question Wonder how Jesus would define blessing. Wonder if he would say that man has a blessed life or that man doesn't have a blessed life. Wonder how, what the criteria for Jesus, what that would look like as far as like what is a blessing, what is a blessed life. Last week we talked about the idea that blessing is a huge theme that runs through, in particular, the book of Genesis, the first book Moses wrote, the book of Deuteronomy, the last book that, wrote, that Moses wrote. Uh, there are huge themes that run through there, the idea of blessing. And then in the Psalms, uh, this idea, this theme of blessing runs through this book uh, of worship, uh, declaring God's beauty and wor worthiness and wonder. Um, I just, I find that important. I told, we talked last week about the fact that blessing is one of the very first things that the Bible mentions in Genesis 1, very first page. And it's also one of the last things that the Bible mentions. Uh, in Genesis 21 and 22, it talks about this idea of blessing, there will be no more, there will be no more curse and there will be no more tears and death and mourning and pain and all will be made new. I mentioned the fact that it was a big deal to the patriarchs that each generation of people that understood and embraced God's covenant of blessing, that that not just be accepted, but that be passed down to the next generation. It's a huge idea that, these, that Abraham, it was a big deal to Abraham that Isaac got it. It was a big deal to Isaac that Jacob got it. It was a big deal to Jacob that the twelve sons got it. And, and, and on and on and on. This idea this, of blessing, God's covenant of blessing, that they understood it. They embraced it and it became that which defined their lives. And we talked about a lot of the, when God told the first high priest, Aaron, I want you to pray for my people every day. 
And when you pray for them, the very first, a lot of things, may the Lord bless you, keep you and protect you and smile upon you and be gracious to you and show you His favor and fill you with His peace. But the first thing that God told Aaron to pray, right out of the gate, for any of those things, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. And we, we talked about a, a lot of those ideas. I would suggest to you that the book of Genesis could be summarized simply with this statement. How the world, but more than the world, God's creation. You understand, God's creation describes and involves much more than just our planet. But that's uh, a key part of the deal. But nonetheless, how uh, Genesis could be descri- uh, described as the story of how God's creation lost God's creation. Or, uh, yeah, I'll, just, I'll stick with that. How God's creation lost the blessing, and then the plan and the activity of God on how He was going to restore the blessing. Um, and then I mentioned one more thing that I just want to say in, before we move on today, and, and, and we're going to talk about this next week on Easter. It's very, very important if you're going to ever be a student of the Bible And if you're ever going to understand the Bible, it is incredibly important that you understand or that we understand God's plan from the beginning was to identify one to be the source of blessing to the many. If we don't get that, the Bible will never make sense. God's plan is to to identify, call, Raise up, whatever word you like, the one, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, uh, uh, Joshua, Samuel, David, goes as far as you want to. But God's plan has always been to raise up the one to be the means of blessing for the many. You understand that? That's that's a, and we'll talk more about that uh, next week. We we'll, we got to move on. Y'all got to listen more quickly. Okay. Um, uh, what I want to do today is I want to uh, I want us to just talk with you about five things related to the blessing, the idea of blessing that Genesis in general. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in particular, what do those chapters teach us about the idea of blessing and how it relates to me and you? If you will listen, if you will not miss this, it'll it'll impact you with good stuff, Um, especially those of us, no comments from the peanut gallery, especially those of us that would be a little anal, a little type A, a little obsessive compulsive, those of us that feel like everything that's important in life rests on our shoulders, depends on us. If God has a word for us, and I was going to say to you, God has a word for you, but actually has a word for us uh, that'll help us with this if, if we'll let it, okay? So, I said last week, no, no, I'm going to give you five. It's number one. I started it last week. It's important for us, if we're going to understand the idea of blessing, that we understand that God defines blessing different than we do. We define blessing as a life without sickness, a life without financial problems, a life without relational conflict, basically a life without problems and needs. Is your life blessed? I'm blessed. What do you mean by that? Everything's great. But in the book of Genesis, 
really the Bible, but we're in Genesis. That's not the focus that the Bible uh, is looking at. Not saying that the Bible doesn't give us examples of, of where blessing involved things. The absence of problems and pain and the abundance of things. But the, the main focus, the main emphasis in Genesis when it relates to the idea of blessing has nothing to do with how much stuff you got. How much money you got in the bank. How many cattle you have in your back 40. Uh, or you know, how many sheep you got in the pen. That's, that's not... Uh, Habakkuk would basically tell us that, that, that it has nothing to do with how much, uh, how much abundance you got, material things. That that's not the focus of blessing. Uh, not, it's not the absence of problems. And it's not the accumulation of things. In fact, the testimony of the scriptures would be that the blessing of God, the real blessing of God can actually come in spite of problems and pain, take it up one step, through or because of problems and pain. That literally, where is that? How about the Israelites in Egypt? The Bible says they were persecuted horribly and in the midst of that persecution and oppression and slavery, They were blessed. They flourished. They were fruitful. And they multiplied. And they literally filled Egypt. Not only was it in spite of the uh, Egyptian persecution and oppression and pain and need and all that, it was because of that that they flourished. They experienced the blessing of God. God spoke three blessings. That's, that's number one. Number two, God spoke three blessings in Genesis chapter one. He said, first of all, to the animals. Now, he was speaking in particular on day uh, four, uh, five, sorry, to the uh, birds of the air and the fish of the sea, the sea creatures and the, and the, and the birds. Um, but I think that that represents the animal kingdom. God said to them, he, it says that God blessed them, and this was the blessing that God spoke on them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we ended last week sort of talking about that, that that idea of fruitfulness always relates to life. Experience life was the blessing experience life but also be the uh, the source or the or the channel through which life comes and then uh, and multiply and that idea of multiplication it's a huge idea in the Bible uh, we'll talk about that another time but uh, just the idea that life God's life true life real life lasting life, you can't contain it. It can't be kept or hidden or, or stored. You can't do that. God's life's not like that. It literally has to spread and expand and, forgive me, multiply. It, it has to go forth. The life of God cannot be hidden in a, uh, in a field as Jesus would have said, are hidden in a, uh, in a jar uh, in your house. It, could, it has to spread. And then, and fill the earth. And that idea of filling conveys the idea of uh, permeating or saturating uh, uh, everything. So God blessed the animal kingdom with life that was intended by design to then spread or expand to the uttermost ends of his creation. That was the blessing that God spoke. Didn't say there wouldn't be problems. Didn't say it wouldn't be needs. It didn't say there wouldn't be 
uh, challenges. And it sure didn't have anything to do with the birds of the air or the fish of the sea uh, storing up uh, whatever animals would store up, okay? That had nothing to do with that, right? Um, Then on the fifth day, the Bible says that God blessed His image bearers. Human and life. Adam and Eve, that's what their names mean. Human and life. Um, God blessed them, and He said the exact same thing. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then he adds something that is incredibly significant. He said, and rule over the rest of creation. And that idea of ruling basically conveys the idea that God gave his image bearers, uh, human and life, Adam and Eve, he gave them the invitation, but also the responsibility of partnering with him to be sure the rest of creation is blessed. Not just be the recipient of God's blessings, but now it's your job to make sure the rest of creation is also blessed. It's a huge idea that God wanted them to take that responsibility seriously. Isn't it shocking you jump all the way over to the Gospels and Jesus starts telling these parables about servants and citizens and workers who the king gives the, the, the task, the responsibility, I'm going on a trip. And while I'm gone, it's your job to make sure everything on the farm runs right. It's your job to make sure all the other servants are taken care of. It's your job to make sure that all the crops are planted and harvested and, and brought into the... It all... I'm wanting you to see how it all fits together. The image bearers are given the the responsibility of partnering with God in blessing creation. You see the exact same idea when you get from, you move over from uh, the, the first people to the patriarchs. And you look in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and God says to Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants, and that includes me and you, I want to bless you. I want to bless you from the top of your pointed head to the bottom of your stinky feet. I want to bless every aspect of your being with life. I want to bless you with life. But not just so you can sit back on the front porch and admire and enjoy. Huge idea that he wants us to sit back and enjoy. But then I want you to then feel the responsibility to use those blessings to bless the nations. And that's where you go back to that idea of multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. God's plan, guys, is for us to do a little and then stand back in amazement at how our little becomes immeasurable. Because we are just like human and life and don't want to do it God's way, we have to invest much and we are amazed at the little that we get back. And God says, that was so the opposite of what I wanted. I wanted you to do little. You don't see Abraham The Bible doesn't describe Abraham as somebody that's, oh my gosh, I got up before sunrise and I worked and toiled and fretted and just beat my head against the ground every day and counting my pennies and my just just grubbling in the dirt and, and I go to bed after sundown and I'm exhausted and then I repeat the process every day. That is not what you see. What you see is God saying, just partner with me in doing what I want you to do each day. And if you'll do your little, I will turn it into much. Now, we we don't like that plan. It's the partnering with God. I don't want God, I don't want to partner with God. I want God to partner with me. And that's what turns the much into little. 
Okay, anyway, we, we can talk more about that down the road. And then God blesses the Sabbath. And don't, we don't have time today to talk about the Sabbath. But God blesses the Sabbath as, and it, on every other day it says the sun set and the sun rose and that was the first day. And the sun set and the sun rose and that was the second day. And on and on and on. When you get to the seventh day, it doesn't say that. And the idea being that the Sabbath day is a unique day. The seventh day is a unique day. And it's the day that if used well, will have unbelievable impact on how we enjoy the blessings of the other six days. There's something special about this day that God says, I want you to set it aside and I want you to focus on me. You don't have to work your butt off every day. Seven days a week. And if you don't work that seventh day, oh, look at what we're going to lose. Look at what we're going to miss out on. Look what we're going to miss. God says, you give me that day and you rest. You give thanks. You focus on me. And I'll give you more in six days than you could have ever made in seven days. In fact, I'll give you more in six days than you could make in a million days. I just want you to trust me. Okay, number three. So important. So good stuff. She's coming. She's, she's coming here in just a second. In fact, you're going to come in just a second. Okay. I'm ready. It's very important that we understand in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Only God, God never asked human and life to create blessings. It's not their job. Only God can produce true, real, lasting blessings in life. What God asked the animal kingdom to do, what God asked the human beings to do, is not to produce blessings, but to reproduce blessings. Take what I have blessed you with and funnel it further. God didn't give Adam and Eve this um, vacant lot. Here's your, vac here's your vacant lot. Do with it what you will. No, no, no. God placed Adam and Eve in a garden that was already filled with blessings. There was no need for Adam and Eve to create. There was no need. Adam and Eve, if you work extra hard, I mean, give it all you got, work your butt off, work, 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 then I'll let you in the garden. There was no cost. There was no fee. They didn't have to earn the privilege. of. He just said, here's this place of abundance. I'm going to place you in this environment of blessings. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to create it. Just trust me that it will be good. Wait on me to make it good when it might seem not good. Enjoy it and share it. That's all you got to do. Now let me apply that to those of us that are obsessive compulsive and feel like it's our responsibility and job to bear the weight of the world. You know, you know the, I, can, I, I can identify, I could call you names if I, if I was so inclined. You know the ones of us in the room who feel like if we don't do our job perfectly, our children won't be successful. If we don't do our job perfectly, our mates won't be successful. If we don't do our job right, the things in life that matter will collapse. What Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us is, stop. Stop feeling that pressure. Stop being afraid. Did I do enough? 
Did I, did I do enough as a parent? Did I do enough as a mate? Did I do enough as a, the owner of a business? Did I do enough as a whatever? Whatever your little area of importance is and value and priority. Did you do enough? And God says, you never will be able to do enough. All I want you to do is just rest in the fact that I have placed you in that marriage, in that family, in that place of work, in that place of life. It is a place of blessing, and guess who's in charge of filling it with blessings? It ain't you. Just Trust that I'll bless you in the place that you are. Not the place that you think you should be. Or the place that everybody tells you you should be. But the place you are. Wherever that is. If that's a hospital bed at St. Jude. That's where you are. And God says, if that's where you are, I can bless you there. I'm committed to blessing you there. You don't have to feel the weight of transforming where you are into blessings. Just trust that I will pour my blessings out there. I want you to enjoy those blessings. Now, yes, there's responsibility. We've already talked about that. We are given a responsibility. But it's a responsibility to partner with the most wonderful person in the universe doing things that matter, that have significance. It's not a burden responsibility. It's an honor responsibility. And it's not a place, this, this place of abundance, this place of blessing, it's not something we gain through a perfect life. Or by following all the rules. Because I would tell you that Genesis teaches, if it teaches us anything, is that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve sons of Jacob, on and on, uh, uh, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, these were people that Genesis wants us to see as blessed. They were people that walked in the blessing of God. But they were also people that were as screwed up and dysfunctional and unhealthy and mistake-ridden as me and you. The blessings of God weren't uh, dependent on them living a perfect life. All God asked them to do, and all God asked us to do, trust me. Wait on me when the blessings don't seem like they're working the way they should. Enjoy what I've given you and share it with others. But you get to Genesis 3 and everything changes. Adam and Eve make a decision that they're not going to trust God's promises. They're going to trust their eyes and their hearts and their minds more than they trust God and His love and His promises. And they come to the conclusion that you and I come to on a regular basis. God is withholding. God is withholding that which will make me blessed. He's keeping me from that which will really allow me to experience life. What did C.S. Lewis say about that? You read something to me that I I thought was important. So, C.S. Lewis says, what Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters. It's like they're Americans or something. Yes. Invented some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. This is a big statement, isn't it? Human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. 
The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Mm. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Mm. That's a pretty powerful thought, isn't it? That our attempts so often end up like in this list. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. And maybe not on a grand scale, uh, but on a day-to-day -day scale. And then we wonder, why am I so, why am I so dissatisfied? That dissatisfaction, the word the Bible uses for Adam and Eve is they took or they grabbed that fruit. They grabbed that fruit God is withholding from us and that is the thing that will give us blessing, life, joy, authority. We can get to be the boss of our lives as C.S. Lewis says. And you see that running through the Bible and you see it in your life and in my life. This idea that when I feel like I'm being robbed or withheld or blocked or hindered, if I don't grab, I won't get. And so we grab, we take. And what's hysterical, what, I say hysterical, I, I use that in the most absurd of ways. What's tragic is, the very things that Adam and Eve and every other person in the Bible felt the need to grab, God had already promised to give them. All you got to do is enjoy. Is eat of every tree in the garden. I'm giving you everything. I, God promised Abraham that he would have a child. But Abraham felt the need to grab, to take Hagar. And you can go on and on and on through the Bible, example after example, where people felt the need to grab what God had already promised. And when we take, when we grab what God has already promised, because we don't like God's plan or we don't like God's timing, the blessings become anti-blessings. I have a grandson who's six. And he's about my best friend. And he and I have this little way of saying things. We have something he'll say, Lad, do you think that's going to be a blessing or an anti-blessing? And I'll say, well, Daddy, it's going to be a blessing or it's going to be, I think that's going to be an anti-blessing. Well, when we take or grab that which is not a part of God's plan or which is not in God's timing, we literally turn blessings into anti-blessings. Adam takes. What does he do? He turns his job, his relationship with work, with the ground, from a friend to an adversary. They, they, when, when they took, which was not a part of God's plan or God's timing, that which was supposed to be, that which was designed to be a friend, to cooperate, to help us multiply, it literally has the opposite impact and it becomes a foe. Relationships, that which was supposed to be a source of, of peace and safety and joy. It becomes our adversary. We don't feel safe. We don't feel the intimacy. We don't feel the unity. The challenge is that we are just so committed to not believing is that we think that we can distinguish between that which is a blessing and that which is not a blessing. 
That was a problem with that fruit of that tree. Did you, you know what the Bible says about the, the one tree? It says that it looked good. It was pleasing to the eye and it looked like it would be good to the taste. Well, you know what that describes? All the other trees in the garden. That tree looked just like all the other trees. The only difference was all the other trees in the garden were a blessing. And that tree was an anti-blessing. And do you know that Adam and Eve did not have the ability to distinguish blessings from anti-blessings? Therefore, they had to take the word of somebody that knew better. And that's the part that we don't like. Who are you to tell me what to do? I know what's best for my life. I know the right way to do things. I'm as smart as you are. Who are you to tell me? I'm nobody to tell you. But I'm declaring that the story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 declares Adam and Eve did not have the ability to distinguish between blessings and anti-blessings. And God wanted them to simply listen to the one who knew. I used to take, I used to spend a lot of time in Africa taking these te- work teams over there and we did all kinds of projects. And uh, we'd be, lit- when I tell you we would be in the jungle, we would be in the Tarzan jungle. That, I mean, that's the kind of jungle we were in. And we'd be walking down these trails, hiking, back, big old backpacks on our back, hiking through the jungle. And for some reason, because I was the leader, all the people on my teams, would, they'd do it all the time, they'd go, hey Larry, is that flower poisonous? <laughs> or is that plant edible? Or is that... They would ask me all these questions. Well, at first I would go, you think I know? Well then, that was, that's no fun. So I started, oh, that plant is... If you even touch that plant... You're, it'll just almost rot your arm off. And that, that's a, that, I would make up these wild stories about all this stuff that these morons were asking me because they thought I knew. And I'm like, I don't know any of that stuff. I'm just, what I know is just stay on this path and follow Kuss, my friend, the guy that was leading the group. Well, then at night, they would all gather around these campfires and they would ask the, the people who did know, hey, Larry said, they'd go, they would just shake their head. They'd go, he don't, don't listen to anything he says because he didn't know. And that's the truth. Don't listen to somebody that doesn't know. Listen to somebody that does. And when it comes to the journey of life, there is one person that is able to perfectly distinguish between blessings and anti-blessings. The issue is, will I trust my eyes, my mind, and my heart because I think I know better? Or will I trust the one who knows? Last thing I'll say and we'll end. Um, I think it's very, 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 very important that God never curses Adam and Eve. I want to make sure you heard that. It is very, I won't do all the varies again, but it is immeasurably important for you and I to recognize that God curses the ground and God curses the serpent. But He does not curse Adam and Eve. God promises blessings. His favorites, His image bearers, believe they know better And the blessings become curses. But that's the result of their choices, not God's curse. God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. 
all he does is inform them of what's coming. If you go to the doctor and have a bunch of tests done, and the doctor says, Larry, I've got bad news for you. The doctor didn't put that sickness on you. He just informs you of that which is true and active in your life. Some of you, I love you more. Well, I love all of you. But some of you I know and I love you. But you operate your life in terror that God has somehow put a curse on you. You've made mistakes. Other people have made mistakes. Somehow you're you're living life under a cloud, a dark, negative, anti-blessing cloud. And I would declare to you that that is not true. If If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now I can't speak to you. I don't know what's going on in your life if you don't know Him as your Savior. That's, that's a whole other deal that I don't have to know anything about. Well, I do, but I, we're not even talking about it today. Um, but if you and I have God Almighty living in our lives, then the testimony of the Bible is that the God of the Bible is a God of blessing. And He delights in pouring out His blessings on us. He invites us to participate in the enjoyment and the sharing of those blessings. He's in charge of creating the blessings. All we've got to do is walk with Him and abide with Him. And when we make bad decisions, when we mess up, when we say, I know better, and things go south on us, the blessings become anti-blessings. Do you know what the Bible says God's doing? He is busy in my life and in your life turning those anti-blessings back into blessings. We're out of time. I'd love to talk more about this, but I would just tell you, our choices matter. Our decisions matter. Somebody, a friend of mine, well, yeah, I'd say a friend of mine, I guess, he sent me this, Thing, what is that called? A podcast thing to listen to. Some big smart dude up in New York uh, talking and stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. But one of the things that he said is that the pressure's off because your choices and my choices don't matter. This is a, I mean, this is supposed to be a real smart person. Your choices don't matter. You're not that important. You couldn't make any decisions or choices that really have any consequence. Dude. Somebody needs to tell Putin that. What he does when he gets up in the morning, the choice doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he's doing. His choices, his decisions mean nothing. According to this guy. That is not what the Word of God says. The Word of God declares that our choices matter. They have power. They have impact. But they can only delay or hinder. They have the power to to impact God's blessings, but they cannot stop God's blessings. They cannot stop God's blessings. And God is busy turning blessings up. anti-blessings into blessings. Anything you want to add, friend? That was a good illustration about Africa, though. It's for some I've heard you say that. Well, I don't tell you everything I know. No. Yeah. But how, how we look at things and think, well, it's good, and everybody says it's good, and, and the leader knows and has said it. Has already told us, and we're like, yeah. But I like I like this better. It seems such a human thing, but it is exactly what you're talking about. We just, and what C.S. Lewis said in, in this quote, that we, that's when we're placing ourselves as gods and saying, yeah, it says be meek, but that's kind of stupid. Hmm. So I'm not going to be meek because who makes it in this world meek? Hmm. That was a I want to add one thing. Just, I'm just reminded sitting beside you. There's not a person in this room especially mamas, not a mom in this room, 
that if you went to the hospital and had your little baby, and when they laid that baby on your chest, or daddies, if when they hand that baby to you and you hold that little baby, if that little baby had an arm like my wife, would you consider that a blessing or an anti-blessing? Well, you know the answer. You can look all sanctified and spiritual, but, but you know, we all know the blessing. We know the answer. Just because something looks like a blessing doesn't mean it's a blessing. And just because something looks like an anti-blessing, that doesn't mean it is an anti-blessing. I have the privilege of being married that I, that I know there's not a person that I've ever met that is more deep and rich and stable and secure and confident. She's not petty. She's not shallow. She's not her, you know, something little old piddly things happen and she just falls apart. She is a rock. By anybody, George Patton would call her a rock. I mean that. Do you know one of the reasons that she and I both know that that's who she is? Because of her little hand. Growing up with her little hand. Just because something looks like a blessing doesn't mean it's a blessing. And just because something looks like an anti-blessing doesn't mean it's an anti-blessing. And we need to remember that. And Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 would remind us of that. Okay? Thank you, friend, for everything. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. As the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you today to come to His table of mercy. I invite you to come and receive fresh grace from His nail-scarred hands. I invite you to eat from the bread of salvation and to drink from the blood of the Lamb. I invite you to come today. Come as a declaration that you have seen Jesus face to face with your eyes of faith. That you've heard His voice with your ears of faith. And you've experienced His eternal life. Come as a declaration that you want more. That you're empty and cold and hard and wounded. And you want more of God. You want His healing. You want fresh grace, fresh wisdom, fresh joy, fresh life. And you come as a declaration, I need that, I want that. You come and you receive. Give thanks and trust that God will bless your life in fresh and wonderful ways today. Okay?